0: Hello and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host Mike and with
1: me as always is your other co-host John. John, how you doing today? Hey, how you doing? I'm I'm just uh I'm doing okay. It's been another crazy week, but good, good stuff. Um we uh the fiance and I have started to tell uh, her family members, and she started to tell some of her friends that were, you know, we we got the house and that we're going to be moving away right. out of New Jersey. Um, which is always tricky, no matter where you live, but it's especially uh, interesting. Is the word I'm going to use just to cover my ass? Um, is uh, when you're dealing with a large Italian New Jersey family. Uh, okay. I am, I am engaged to a Jersey girl. And when you choose to get involved in in an Italian family, especially in New York or New Jersey, um, you know, it's, it's always, uh, they're loyal. They are loving and caring, um, passionate, but they, uh, they all want you to stay in one spot. They're all kind of like, it's it's this, you know, you're loyal to the family. You got to be here. You got to stick around. You got to be within, you know, even if we don't see you for like, you know, a year or, or months at a time, you know, we got to know that you're within reach at all times. So this is very difficult to, uh, for Ashley to tell them and and, um, and for uh, my fiance um, and uh, for um, her family to kind of take. So it's 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 an interesting ride. We're getting mixed reviews. So <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I get that. It's always hard when you've been living near family and then you live further away from family. John, you know that. Yeah. And so, I mean, it is it is kind of a thing because like you're coming closer to your family, but Ashley's getting further away from her from hers, which has obviously become your family. Yep. And so that is that's a tough thing for sure to
1: navigate. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm I see a lot of East Coast trips in your future. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. No, we're we're, we will be coming back often. You know, I have a lot of history out here. You know, this is has very much become, you know, a second home in a way for me uh, with New York City and New Jersey, uh, just the East Coast in general. But, you know, um, it's always it's just interesting. I'm, I'm so far. I haven't really been treated like I'm the bad guy at least not too much. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. You know, I'm sure you th- I can't speak for what's happening behind my back, but you know, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. We're, we're just moving forward. So things are all right. That's How great. About you? Oh man. I've had a rough
0: few days to be totally honest with you. I have been sick. Oof. So if I sound a little bit under the weather, I am. I'm going to power through because it's day three now. And I feel like I'm starting to turn towards the mend. But okay. yeah, I've had some stomach issues that I don't need to get into.
1: But it hasn't been super fun. Ooh, bummer, dude. That sucks. Did it hit yeah. you like right away? Or was it kind of gradual? Do you have signs or? was it just No, no, that? it just
0: snuck. It's like I got I went to bed on. I went to bed the other night a few nights ago and, you know, kind of woke up and like was like, oh, I'm sick. And just immediately knew it, you know, fully congested, coughing a little bit, feeling a little nauseous, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Not good. Yeah. So, but I'm feeling a little better now. There you go. And we will talk about Big Ten football and not my my, my health issues. (laughs) All right.
1: Well, onward and upward.
0: For sure. Should we get into it? Let's do it. All right. So, this is another review episode. Today, we are going to do Penn State, Illinois, and Purdue. So we will get to those. But before that, as always, we will talk about current events in college football. So, John, UCLA has hired an offensive coordinator, and it was a little bit of a surprise, honestly. Mm -hmm. They hired Eric Biennemi, most recently of the Washington Commanders, or as I like to call it, the Washington football team, because Commanders is a stupid name. Let's be real. It's it's silly. And when they were just when they just went by the Washington football team, that was classy. That was a classy way to replace, you know, the gross moniker that came before. Um, But yeah, so sorry. Not big on the commander's name. I do think it's funny, though. So do their fans at games? Do they chant go commies? They must, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can't you can't chant commanders. That's too much. Yeah, I feel like they they could have done better. And I mean, I don't know. I I think I've heard maybe I'm wrong because, again, I don't pay much attention to the NFL. But I think I've heard that they have considered even renaming it again, like like coming up with something different because they, I
0: feel like they could. They could do something better I, than that. I don't know what was wrong with the Washington football team. That was classy. Yeah. You know, you don't need a mascot. Just be the Washington football team. Be classy. You were, did that for a year. Everyone loved it. Everyone thought it was cool. It was mm-hmm. your own thing. It was different than anyone else in the NFL. Absolutely. And then they just threw it away, like big. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about, though. More importantly, before that, Eric Bieniemy was first the running backs coach, but then the offensive coordinator for a team you might have heard of, John, the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: Uh, that is, yeah, I have heard of this team. Yes, yes, this NFL for sure. team. <laughs> they're, and they're uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Eric, Mister B enemy, uh, won two Super Bowls as offensive coordinator. So that was pretty. You know, he's got that to recruit with. So in that, in a way, this is kind of a home run hire. It seems yes. like just like this is definitely a win. The press conference hire, right? Yes. Like you got a guy who's worked with Patrick Mahomes, who can flash his Super Bowl rings to recruits, who can come in, who's who's you know done it at the highest level. And so, you know, it could be a really great hire for Deshaun Foster. I don't know, John, what do you think about this?
1: Yeah, I look with the state of UCLA football at this point in time, I think, you know, number one, what they're gonna need to focus on. Well, first, like we already talked about, they're gonna have to just accept that it's gonna be it's gonna be a total rebuild. And it's gonna take time. And as long as they give Deshaun Foster Foster the time to do that. There could, you know, they could turn out to be a pretty good program again, um, but you're gonna need to recruit at a high level, and I think that having the combination of Deshaun Foster and then Eric, someone with, like you said, a, a more high profile um, person like Eric the Enemy, is only gonna bring in more interest from from young recruits, and that's just the way it's gonna have to be. So right now, I think starting and focusing on their on becoming, you know, recruiting better um, is gonna be obviously. Uh, crucial, especially in California, when you're competing, you know, right across town with USC, um, and then now, you know, other Big Ten teams. So to have someone like that, even if it, you know, turns out to be more or less like a mediocre hire on the field, uh, to bring in recruits is going to be huge. And I think that needs to be the most important thing at this point in time when you're doing a total rebuild. You you got to have that. And so I think it's a great hire. Personally, I know there's a lot of people who have mixed reviews. I understand those. Um, But to be honest with, like I said, where UCLA football is right now, um, I think it's pretty solid. I think that's a good move.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting you brought up the recruiting because that would be the thing that I was kind of not worried about, but something I would be thinking about because it is a big adjustment for guys who are used to be in the NFL to come into college football, where you got to be texting, you got to be FaceTiming, you got to know what the latest video game that the recruits are playing, you might have to be playing it too, or even playing it with them online. Like you got to like, you got to immerse yourself in that recruiting as like a whole lifestyle. It's mm-hmm. not like a thing you do. It's like a thing you are, you're a recruiter, you do it all the time. So I always wonder with guys coming from the NFL, how is that piece of it going to go? Is he gonna be is he gonna be able to adjust to that and realize that he's gotta put in the time recruiting and you know he's gotta refine his pitches and figure out how because that's just not something he's had to do. It's not a skill set he's had to use. So that that would be my only question about this hire. And then of course, the other question I have, whenever an NFL guy comes to college, John, I call it or we call it at the We Live for Saturday podcast, we call it the Jed Fish question. Yeah. When you go from being a pro coach to being a college offensive coordinator how big is your playbook because it has to get a lot smaller Mm -hmm. jed fish infamously when he went to minnesota brought this million page playbook and it was way too much and he was demanding way too much of the quarterback and it was it was just a it was a disaster you know his his and he learned from that and obviously he's figured out how to sculpt an offense at arizona um that is more that is a little a little more not simplistic but that isn't so complex that recruits can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's my other question. That's my only other question with this hire is, is he going to be able to simplify the playbook enough with the limitations that you have at the collegiate level? Is he going to know how, what to take out and what to leave in?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely fair and definitely a concern, especially, you know, those of us who've seen that and experienced that firsthand as a fan, um, it can definitely be complicate things even further, but. You know, I like I, I think at this point in time, as far as just looking at this, whether it's good or bad. um, And, you know, I know that there's a gray area here. I do think overall this is a positive for UCLA. I think, you know, going if he does go into it, you know, having that understanding that this is you're not working with NFL players. These are kids that have to go to class. They have, you know, they have grades. They have all, all these other um, commitments um, that you're going to have to take that time uh, to, you know, move, you know, adjust yourself. Um, and also, you know, not just as far as the playbook goes, but to yourself having to maybe take on more responsibilities. So yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see that. Um, I think with Deshaun Foster there, he'll be able to, he should be able to guide him in that direction and, and help him understand that that's the situation. So I, I hope so. And I hope it works out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it should be, it should be, it's going to be really fascinating to follow regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right, John, well, you brought something to my attention that the uh, big 10 fan duel odds over unders for each big 10 team came out.
1: Mm-hmm. They did. And you know, it's, there's a few interesting outliers here and we're not going to cover absolutely everything because I do think, you know, I'd have to say overall, uh, many of these odds, uh, make a lot of sense. Now, let me just preface all of this. I think we made a statement early on when we started this podcast that like, we're not here to, uh, make any suggestions or guide anyone in how to bet. Cause we are not gambling men here, but we do want to address it because it's a big part of the, the sport, Yeah. Um, So, this isn't any, you know, we're not trying to give anybody advice, is what I'm trying to say. So,
0: no, no, no. We're just talking about what the expect, some of the expectations are from the Vegas, from some of the Vegas sharps going into this year, because that can be interesting to see where they think everybody's at.
1: Exactly. And, and look, Vegas knows more often than not. I think Vegas does know what they're talking about, but there are always, there's always some outliers, and that's really what we're addressing here. And there's definitely a few within the Big Ten that I think need to be addressed and discussed to a certain kind of, certain point here. So we're not going to go through everybody. But for me, the outliers, at least the way I'm looking at it right now, um, and I think we we had a previous discussion, we both probably agree on this, um, is are going to be the teams Washington, Nebraska. For me, I'm putting Maryland in there, and Minnesota.
0: Yeah. So Washington, uh, Nebraska, and Maryland are all at seven and a half, right? Yes. Yeah. And that is, I'll tell you, seven and a half for Nebraska when they haven't been to a bowl game in two presidential administrations. Seems like a lot to ask. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying Nebraska. I think Nebraska is going to do a bowl game this year. I think Nebraska is going to be improved this year. You know, I think that with Dylan Rayola at quarterback, like things are on the up and up for sure. Um, so this is not a knock on the Cornhuskers at all, but seven and a half wins in year one or year two, I mean, and especially within a year, the big 10 is getting harder than it was before. And it was already really tough. Like mm-hmm. that just seems like a lot to ask.
1: Well, and we just see this, it, this is a perennial thing, you know, it, where, where yes, it the, is. The Huskers. And I, I'm again, I'm not trying to knock anybody here. But the fact is, is this is this does actually happen every year where where the expectations are at a certain point and um and unfortunately, uh, you know, they've been falling short. Now, I am also in agreement that I think Nebraska should absolutely go to a bowl game this year. I, I don't think that's out of the question. And I don't even think necessarily that seven and five is an impossibility. That's not no. what I'm saying here either. No, 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 not at all. I just think it's too high. And, and I think, you know, like we talked about year two with, with rule, um, an offensive coordinator that frankly was pretty darn unimpressive last year. Now I understand the talent he was working with may not have been top notch, but Still. And then also on top of that, um, you're dealing with a freshman, a true freshman quarterback that has never taken a, a collegiate snap. And so that to me is there's a lot to, to a lot of high expectations. And on and, and on top of that, Rayola, I fully expect, is going to be feeling that pressure from day one. And Husker fans will let him know. And that's that's tough, man. That's really tough for a true frosh. So i I think there's just too many question marks for me to be comfortable at seven and a half. I would definitely again not a betting man here, but i i would I would be betting the under if i if that were me.
0: Yeah, and you know Nebraska kind of has this every year they have Nebraska has such a passionate fan base that they get a lot of action and and fan bases want to bet the over, right? That's what you want to bet. You want to bet the over because it's not fun to root for your team to lose. It's more mm-hmm. fun to root for your team to win. Of course. So in general, fans want to bet the over. And I think Nebraska's probably got bit up a little bit from where they, you know, from where they might be if they weren't the Nebraska brand. Absolutely. I agree.
1: Let's move on to the next team then. And uh, I think that we we want to talk a little bit about Washington, I think. And you might, I think you made some points earlier. Well, I just Washington lost,
0: I think, 22 starters. I think all 22 starters off that national title team or it's or it's it's all it's all 11 offensive starters and most of the defense as well. Mm -hmm. They lost their entire coaching staff. They have a new coach running a new system, running different stuff on both sides of the ball, who brought in an NFL type to be the defensive coordinator. So he wants that sophisticated NFL look on defense. I just think that it's going to take a couple years. Yeah. In I just think I I just don't I think Washington's a good program. I think they have you know their talent's pretty good and they're not they're in a decent place. But that's so much change. You're losing so much production and and just when you've got an entirely new regime coming in to expect that in year one, you know you're going to win seven or eight games and now you're in a tougher conference in the Big Ten. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a tall order. Um now again, just like Nebraska, do I think that this team can't go bowling? No. I, I think it, it could be possible. They have enough talent um and their ability to recruit up there to to go 6 and 6. Um uh but I don't I just don't know. I think it's going to be too much change. Uh there's way too many question marks. you, you know, just all of the question marks in my opinion. Um you know, and, and, it, and it's not it's unusual, I think, um, to look at a team that was previously at the national title game and had of this talent and to f- try to to understand or fathom that, like, how could they not be anything, you know, uh, less than a eight, nine, 10, 11, win, you know, winning team like it, you you would expect that that that's the norm for some programs. But Washington is not Ohio State. Washington is not Michigan. Washington is not Alabama is not you know all of those other they, but they they're a, they're a wonderful program but that's not them so I do think it's going to take some time to rebuild and I am in agreement that it's you know seven to five is just a little too high for me not crazy but a little too high. Here's my
0: take: seven and a half games. If the, if if the Pac-12 still existed, maybe. Yes, but this is the Big Ten now, and it's the toughest the Big Ten has ever been, and I just
1: don't, I just don't see it in year one. Yeah. I agree. I agree. You know, and I'll just say, you know, since we're talking about the the form you know, some of the a former Pac twelve team here, I also want to just mention a little bit too, like on, on USC as well, like I I think seven and five or or seven, yeah, seven and five is definitely possible with that schedule because it's very easy from what I've I've seen. It's not too difficult. But still, I don't think it would be an easy it's not going to be easy for any team to get to seven to five. Let me just put it that way, um, unless you are those top tier brands yeah. um, and not to say USC isn't. I just think it might be a bit more of an adjustment like we've spoken about previously. Um, so it's going to be hard for anybody coming over here and getting to that number. But uh, now moving on to like Maryland, for me, the question mark I have, even though I know there's a lot of good talent coming back. I'm just a little curious, like, because we, we've, we've grown so accustomed to seeing Talia under center yeah. and what the heck does that offense look like now? Like who, what, what is, what is locks working with here? And we've seen bits and pieces, but not much, you know, and Talia has been overall very healthy throughout his career. So we haven't yeah, seen, backups in. yeah, we haven't seen many backups. And so we don't really know what's, what's going to happen. So Yes, there's some talent coming back. I think they're going to be a dangerous team. Um, I do think seven and five is very possible, but I also just could see, you know, unfortunately, being a Maryland, you know, locks team, there could be some unexpected hiccups here and there. I think it's going to be a learning curve, and we're going to have to see how that works out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I echo what you say. I think with Leah gone, it's just it's not that they couldn't do that well. Maryland's always talented. They're always fast. Maryland's always got really good team speed. Mm-hmm. And that's just a thing the Terrapins have. It's funny because their name is the Turtles, but they're actually their defining characteristic is that they have good team speed.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh but yeah, in year one without Leah with a new quarterback who's getting his bearings, I just don't know unless, you know, because they're they they did not get anyone in the transfer portal, I don't think, at QB, did they?
1: I haven't seen I haven't heard or read anything recently yeah you know. so, it, so it seems what we saw in the bowl game is kind of what they're working with
0: yeah so I saw what we saw in the bowl game could work
1: yeah uh, just which yeah it's just who steps
0: up and can earn the job yeah it'll be it'll be interesting I think Maryland I'm with you they will be a dangerous team this year but if I were picking their over and under seven and a half seems a little high
1: yeah now, you know, we could go over more, but uh, I wanna really take some time and you can call us Homers, whatever. You have a problem with this. That's fine. <laughs> I know some people will, um, but whatever, too bad. you're gonna listen to this i think I think that <laughs> um, Minnesota at four and five at the bottom of the big ten is absolutely and utterly ridiculous and just goes to Fort show again. Gone. Yeah, four and a half. Yeah, yeah. just to to um, goes to show like of how little consistently people pay attention to what Minnesota is and what they've done here and what PJ has done here. I know people love to discredit Minnesota at any chance they can. The national media, especially being that. Um, and obviously, you know, it's it's people love to take shots at PJ because they're not they just don't like his personality, whatever. And yes, I understand five and seven last year sucked. It was and, and it was not a good year. Um, for a multitude of reasons, lots of injuries. Ethan didn't, unfortunately, didn't turn out um, the way everybody wanted him to. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of things that were really rough. But um, but uh, there's just so much that I feel is not being taken into consideration. And 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 I just I think four and a half is a bit silly, to be honest with you. Now, do I think this team is like a guaranteed nine, ten, eleven, you know, twelve? No, for- no, 10, no, no. No, No. So don't don't get me wrong. Like we're not we're we're trying to remove our maroon and gold colored glasses here. But it's this just is silly. I think if you if you really understood what's going on in Minnesota, if you take out the COVID year, five
0: and seven was PJ's worst year since year one. And his on average, he's won more like nine games now. Like (laughs) I'm not saying he's going to win nine games this year necessarily, but he's been much closer to winning nine games than winning five yep. most years. So it does seem strange. Also, if you look at the returning production rankings, Minnesota is way up there. Minnesota brings back a ton of production. They didn't graduate a lot of guys. They only are losing a couple guys to the who are out of eligibility to the draft and stuff like that. So most of the talent is back. And I also think, John, I think that the big time transfer portal pulls, like I think, get a lot of attention but mm-hmm. i don't think people are talking about max brosmer i don't think people know who max brosmer is yet no and the fact that minnesota brought in you know a finalist for the fcs heisman essentially he brought in a finalist who led the who led the fcs in passing um and has had a four year career with unbelievably high pro football focus grades so look i'm not saying max brosmer is going to have the same pro football focus grades in the big 10 that he had in, you know, at the FCS level, obviously, the defense will be a lot tougher and all that kind of stuff. But the offensive weapons will be better, too. So there's yeah. that. And he's well, a guy, man. he's a guy who's been nothing but successful. And I expect him to come in and be a big upgrade over Ethan Kelly, a huge yeah. upgrade.
1: Well, and to just and to, to uh, let's just even take Brosmer out of this. To you know, in, in sure. a way, like and just let's look at just the fact, like if there is a healthy Darius Taylor and a and a relatively healthy offensive yeah. line, just the Minnesota's running game, period. It, it, four and a half wins is like it, that's absurd. Like the, this is a bowl game, just running the ball if Darius is healthy. That's this man. This this true freshman was one of the best running backs in the country, not just the big 10 in the country until before he got hurt. And that's only healthy that. for four, what four weeks all year. Yes. So the fact that they're just dis- totally discounting that and not to me, or the way I'm looking at this win total is meaning that they are discounting. That is what I mean to say. Maybe they think he's injury prone, but that's the first injury he's had in his, like he didn't have a bunch of
0: injuries in high school. Yeah. So maybe they think he's injury prone and that's it big. But like, I don't understand it either. Cause Darius Taylor is, Look, Travion uh, Henderson is probably the best back in the Big Ten, but yes. now that Blake Corum's gone, like Darius Taylor is in the discussion. Absolutely, if he's healthy. He's in the discussion. He's a special, special player. Yeah, and you know Minnesota's been pretty. Like I know they had a down year last year on defense, but they've been con- pretty consistently good on defense. Mm-hmm. And they brought in. They did get a new DC, but it's a guy from the same coaching tree. So it's a guy who already. It's not like they're going to change what they're running. There's a lot of con. There's What I'm saying is there's a lot of continuity in the Minnesota program and there's a lot of returning production. And I do think four and a half, it is juiced to the over. So it's, it's trying to get you, it's, it's giving you a, a much it's, it's saying that it's much more likely to be five than four the way it's juiced, but still four and a half half. It is. it's kind of ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I mean, defensively, this is not a whole new scheme. This is, it's not going to be that big of a transition defensively in my opinion. Um, Mm -hmm. And offensively, it just it just blows my mind of just how one bad year with Minnesota can brings them all the way back down. But a consistent, I don't know, uh, you know, eight nine, what seven eight nine years with a, with a, a team like Nebraska continues to get the benefit of the doubt every yeah. year.
0: It just shows that the more the media changes, it doesn't change at all. Exactly. So for that's sure. all.
1: Thank you for listening. Awesome,
0: all right, John. Well, we are going to get into we're going to get into a more heated discussion potentially right? Well, no, not yet. We're about to get into a heated discussion, but we'll take a break and do something a little less heated. Um, there's been a proposal from Greg Sankey and the SEC to move up early signing day to the Wednesday before championship weekend. I think now it's usually like the twentieth or so, and that would bring it up a few weeks there. And then, you know, that would be because right now what you've got is all the teams preparing for bowls are also trying to keep their classes. And that's pretty hard when you're preparing for the postseason and also trying to hold out your recruits. So moving it to that, you know, to that Wednesday before championship weekend when there's only two teams from each conference playing and the coaches can really focus in on their recruiting classes, I think is a good thing. If, yeah. should, that, should that come to pass? Now they're talking about potentially adding an early signing day in June. And I don't, I wouldn't like that as an idea if it happened. My issue with that is that it would benefit the schools who are the closest to the talent. Hmm. Because a big part of getting guys to commit is getting them to come on official visits. And generally, guys, if they want to go on official visits when they're going to go further away from home, that's not happening until, you know, that summer anyway. So I think if they're going to have, if they're going to have a summer early signing day, I think it should be in like, it shouldn't be June 1st, it should be like August 1st. When recruits have had the chance to go on those, um, to go on those official visits and see different schools and make the most informed choices for themselves, because otherwise, you know what's going to happen: the schools are going to, the coaches are going to put pressure on the players and say that we want you to sign early, or you're going to lose your spot in our class. And I just don't, I don't like that. I think that would really, really benefit. Again, John, we need to not do things that benefit the SEC. Already has it really good. We don't need to yeah. do things that further benefit the SEC and yep. adding a june early signing date i just think would further benefit the sec because that conference is the closest to all the talent
1: well it's that and also like you're 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 putting so much pressure on these kids and they are they're, they're yeah, still true. in high school and like you're it, it it's easy to, to break under that pressure and succumb when you are that age. And especially if they're being told by some of these, of course, and, and I'm, you know, they may have a list of, of programs that they really want to be in. And, you know, they may, obviously they have it listed in, you know, favorite to, to, to least or whatever. But I think like when you are being pressured to go in, you may not necessarily know what's going to be the best fit for you at that time. That can change, that can evolve. And that's why you take these visits. That's why you talk to these different coaches and don't make a, uh, you know, an immediate decision that you may regret or, you know, for one reason or another, whether you don't end up playing, you just get lost in the depth chart or you, you know, there's so many things. You just don't fit with the system, culture, what have you. Um, So I think, I think it's definitely the wrong move. If you were going to start that in June, I think giving those kids um, some extra time, a couple months, um, would be the wise choice, and I think yes, it benefits the SEC the most if it goes early. But I don't see why it would hurt the SEC if it went into into August either. It, it, I think no, it never... wouldn't
0: hurt them at it wouldn't hurt them at all. It exactly. would help everybody. Yeah. yeah, no, it's look, it's better for players to make informed decisions because then they're less likely to transfer later. Exactly, you know what a big headache the transfer portal is. So you know, early signing day the or. Wednesday before championship weekend to have that signing day. Then is great, but don't do a June signing day. That would be a bad idea.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: All right, John, now we get to the biggest topic. Everyone's talking about the potential already expansion. The 12 team playoff is already potentially expanding to 14 in the new
1: media deal. Cause why not? Why not? Let's, you know,
0: Cause let's just make it March madness. Like it's basketball. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. I don't either. I just, (laughs) I saw somebody, somebody post whistling past the graveyard. And I was like, that's exactly it. Just Mm -hmm. trying to stay cheerful. Everything's going, going haywire. So it's not just expanding to 14 teams that I think is a problem. But so here's part of the, part of what's been floated as potential um details of this plan the sec and the big 10 would potentially get three auto bids each per conference and the acc and the big 12 would get two auto bids then a group of five would get an auto bid and that would leave three at large bids and here's what i'm going to say john this is no disrespect to the acc and the big 12 but especially the Big 12, which is good, going to be so much parity, mm-hmm. if you give them two automatic bids, there's going to be a year when somebody gets into the playoff and is like eight and four. Yep. And it's like, especially if those conferences struggle, if they if there's a year when those conferences struggle out of conference and lose non-conference games,
1: yeah. and
0: then their best teams lose non-conference games and then make a run and and, you know, get second in the conference and it's a huge cluster, excuse me, but, and it's a bunch of teams all in the jammed in the same place. And then that second place is just like four teams tied at eight and four. And you have to pick yeah. one of them and they get to go to the college football playoff. It's, it's and just, that could happen in the ACC too. That could easily yeah. happen in the ACC too.
1: It's such a mess. And you're making an already complicated thing just so much more difficult and hard on yourself. And all of this, it doesn't need to be said, is clearly driven by money. That's the only reason. That's the only reason we're doing any of this is strictly for the TV networks to make more money. Um, And of course, you know, I mean, I'm not going to just I'm not going to not say that the SEC and the Big Ten definitely will be the ones benefiting the most out of the conferences. But at the end of the day, it's about the TV networks. That's really who it is. Um, you can blame the SEC. You can blame the Big Ten. I'm not saying that they're not part of it. But at the end of the day, it's it's ESPN and Fox. That's it. That's what it is. So I think this is definitely a mistake. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I felt like 12 was more than enough. Um, I I mean, I I'm, what I'm afraid of is that This isn't, you know, they've already made up their minds. It took, I think I I was listening to a podcast that it it took them three years to get to agree on the the 12 team playoff. And now how long is it going to take to get to to 14? But then if it's just like that quick and easy for them to turn over and make up their, and change their mind, well then, all right, we're going to go to 16. When is it, where does it stop? Where's the line is my question.
0: Yeah, no, I, and that's the thing. And at a certain point, it starts to devalue the regular season. Yeah. It just does. And because you'll have teams, you know, I think you already need, I think we're already pretty close to needing to get rid of championship re- weekend because, yeah. because of these expanded playoffs. Because well, teams we are going to be have, playing so many games.
1: Yeah. What's the point of, of even having a championship game at this point in time with this many, with this many teams other than to make more money. That's really the only reason. Right. And it's
0: forcing two of those teams in each conference to play an extra game when the other teams don't have to play that game, yep, so I think that's a dis you know that's a disadvantage too, because you're just that much more likely um to have an injury or something like that. So, yeah, it's like I hate the idea that we could be you know, that they might try to the powers that be don't understand, and what they'll never understand is that college football is unique. Because it is a regular season-driven sport. What matters is the competition on Saturdays in the fall and playing your rivals and having the band there and the student section and the cheerleaders and the mascots and the spectacle of it all on fall Saturdays on campus. That's what makes the sport special. Yep. And it's the fact, and it's the fact that every team has a rivalry game, just about. I mean, there are a few teams without rivalries, but just about all the teams have serious rivals to play in rivalry weekend and conference rivals to play throughout the year. Teams that you have a history with and all that kind of stuff. And I could, you know, I could go ad nauseum here. But if you make the playoff big enough, you're going to start to devalue the regular season. Mm -hmm. Because what is a team going to do if they're 10 and 0 and they already know they're in the playoff and they're like, well, you know, maybe we should. Maybe I should, I already have this conference pretty much locked up. Maybe I should rest some starters in a game. Why not? Why not sit some guys out and make sure they're ready for the playoff? Can you imagine a conference championship game where both teams are sitting starters because they both know they're in the
1: playoff and they're
0: trying to make sure they don't get hurt for that? Because that could happen.
1: Well, that's what we've seen with bowl games happening already. Like when, you know, it's seeing these opt-outs is so disappointing and disheartening and the thing is, is like what they're not taking into account as per usual is the fan. Yes. They don't the fans care. care
0: about Saturdays in the fall. And that's what matters to us.
1: And that's exactly. sacred to us. And we are paying so much money to go to these games, buy the merchandise. So pay for these. the players. Yes. Like, and so when you, when you're putting that much money, the fan base is putting that much money and time and effort. Into this team, and then to watch that happen—like, to be honest, as a, as if I were, you know, what we've referenced before when it went when to the Mizzou and Ohio State game, with the the all of those opt outs, or with Florida State, let's put it that on that that uh, that game as well. As a fan, that is so disheartening. Like, just because you as a player and I'm, I'm not trying to fault them either here, but it's it, you see them opt out, you see them not care, or you see the coach like in Ohio state's case, not care about the game. Then it just makes you, it makes you sad. It makes you like, it makes you feel bad as a fan. It makes and it to me anyways. Like if, if that, if I were to experience that, that I cared so much with this season and yes, maybe it didn't turn out the exact way I wanted it to, but you know, we're still in, in an important game. At least it's important to me. And, and it's being treated like it's not by the players and by the coaches. And yet I'm still paying to buy ticket season tickets or buying this merchandise or whatever, however else I'm, I'm here to support the team. And that's how you treat the fan base. I don't know, man. It's really disappointing to me.
0: Yeah. Eventually you're going to turn people off and you're going to destroy this beautiful game that we all love. And you're going to, people will tune out and turn away. Yep. They will. If you take the fans for granted long enough, and if you don't understand what's important about the sport, at a certain point, they will just tune you out. And I know so far it's only gotten better and it's only gotten bigger. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there are cautionary tales of sports that used to be popular that failed because they got arrogant. Look at boxing. Boxing used to be one of the biggest sports in this country. And then they put it all on pay-per-view so people couldn't see it. And guess what? People just picked other sports to watch and stopped watching boxing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: 40, 50 years ago, boxing was a really important sport. When's the last time you heard anyone talk about a boxing
1: match? Never. Well, it's you all know, MMA it, now. You know, look at you know, Major League Baseball to to a certain extent as well. Like you're seeing so much turnover in these in these teams throughout the season, or even you know, the NHL does it too. But it's like. Y- it's hard to invest these days. The NFL is doing it too, to a certain extent as well. It's hard, which is why partly I, I fell off away from the NFL is like you can't invest in a team that doesn't have any continuity on its roster, and you or or in in you know in its administration in the coaching staff, whatever. It's just it's hard to keep track of, it. and it, and it's frustrating because all it says to the team or to the fan is it really reinforces that whole mindset of, oh, it's about the money. It's not about you. We don't yeah. care.
0: Yeah. And so we've gotten mad about enough that already. And then here's about this already. We've gotten mad enough about, am I speaking words? <laughs> but there is that English coming out of my mouth or not? Excuse, like I said, people, not clicking on all cylinders today. So doing my best. <laughs> Appreciate you hanging out, out there. We're not editing that out either. We got to keep it.
1: That's right. <laughs> we own our mistakes here on We Live for yes. Saturday.
0: Yes, we do. Um, John, the other idea that I think is also an equally terrible idea coming out of this is potentially in a 14-team playoff, there'd be two buys. And the SEC champ and the Big Ten champ would automatically get the buys. Automatically. Even if they're not ranked number one and two. People are going to scream unfair at the top of their lungs and they're going to be right. Yes, they're going to they be right because that's not fair.
1: No, it isn't. And I got to say, like, I haven't seen, well, I haven't really seen much from SEC fans. I'm sure they don't care one way or the other, but um, I'm sure they take it. But I've seen a lot of reactions even within, within the Big Ten of screaming that that's ridiculous and that this is absolutely absurd. And I got to agree. I, I Even to the Big Ten's benefit, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. You're you you know who's
0: going to tune out? The ACC and the Big Twelve and the Group of Five are going to start tuning out if the SEC and the Big Ten get automatic first round buys. Yep. I mean that is just ridiculous. Give the give the two buys to the top two rated teams, regardless of conference.
1: Well, and what's even scarier with this is if this does sound somehow go through, and that is that is uh, the end result. Is what this makes me or leads me to believe is that this is laying the groundwork of the Big Ten and the SEC pulling away from everyone. The NC, not That's just the, the NCAA. NCAA.
0: That's the fear. Yeah.
1: Is that it will be the AFC NFC of college football, and literally no one else is going to matter. And the Big Ten and the SEC will probably get to 24 teams, and then they'll have their own interconference playoff. And then the big, the SEC and the Big Ten face off in a college football Super Bowl. And that's what people have been talking about for a while. But I don't know. It scares me. It just makes me think that way. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. But it definitely makes me a little nervous that that's what they're laying the groundwork for.
0: That would destroy the popularity of the sport. Totally agree. Because, again, if you're an ACC or Big 12 or Group of Five fan, why do you even care? Why do you even care if you don't have a chance? Yep. You have to have a chance. If teams don't have a chance, then you can't, then there's nothing to play for. And then what are we even doing
1: here? Yeah, I, I agree. And and again, in these, these fears, I guess to go to continue off of what I just said is then it also makes you wonder, okay, well, if that's, if they're going to do that, then, then you really do have to start considering um, those theories, which previously I kind of scoffed at, but that certain programs within these existing conferences, this the two power conferences at this point in time that may be towards the bottom or the middle, they may go, they may go away because the SEC and the Big Ten won't see them as valuable enough to hold on to. I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm just saying now all bets all bets are off is is what I'm saying because the TV networks are running this. the conferences don't seem to care enough. The fans are, are, you know, not getting enough say. um, And it's just, it sucks to feel powerless at this point in time as a fan. And I'm sure we're not alone in this. And I think that's something all of us could come together on. It's just, it's sad.
0: It's, I hope that what they do is they eventually, like, make it, get rid of the the two auto bids for the ACC and the Big 12. If you want to give the SEC and the Big 10 two auto bids, I guess you can. But... Mm. I really think that all the leagues need one auto bid and then after that it should just be in order of teams of how the teams are ranked.
1: I agree. Why and like that makes perfect sense. Why is that so hard?
0: I don't understand what the problem with that is. No. It's and here here's the thing. It's going to look wonky sometimes because strength of schedule is going to be more important than it used to be. It used to just be if you had a loss, you either were undefeated or you had one loss or you were out if you had more than one loss. Now, you know, there're going to be teams that are nine and three, ten and two, who have a shot at the playoff. And so it's gonna be really discerning. We're gonna have to really get into it. And I just think if you're going with the auto bid thing, then that also takes all the fun out of it too. Because then we can just line it up and say, Oh, it's gonna be one of these three or four teams, and this is gonna be one of these three or four teams, and this is gonna be these two teams, and this is gonna be these two teams, and and we're you know what I mean? Like well it's 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 really not
1: gonna be any different than the four team college football playoff when you knew exactly like the the same four or five teams that were gonna be in it every single year. It's not it's just gonna be an expanded version of the same thing. Everyone's gonna know pretty much every year, like, oh well it's gonna be, you know, Ohio State, Michigan and Oregon you know, uh, in the big 10 and then, Oh, but next year, sure. It's Penn state instead of Michigan. I mean, you know, like it, but it's going to be the same teams and I, and it probably would end up being that way anyways, but it just makes it far less interesting. And it makes you feel like, you know, now you really don't have a shot if you're, if you're not one of those top tier teams.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we both agree 14 teams is it's too many, but if you're going to do it, you can't have all these auto bids. You can't have 11 out of 14 auto bids. That's just ridiculous. I agree. Yeah. All right. John, anything you want to say before we get into these reviews?
1: Yes. As always, if you want to find We Live for Saturday, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. You can find Mike. At Alibaba 26, and you can find me, John, at Norwegian Gopher. And if you want to email us with any questions, inquiries, uh, arguments, whatever you want, crit- critiques, um, you, you can email us. We live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get
0: into these season reviews. First up, we have the uh, Penn State Nittany Lions. Who went 10 and 3. And our Penn State insider is Marty. Marty is a great follow for all things Penn State. His Twitter app is at MSJ41817. So that's Marty at MSJ41817. Awesome follow for all things uh, Penn State. So we really appreciate his contributions. Yes. Thank you, Marty. All right. What position groups were good in 2023-24? Uh, Marty says, once again, cornerback and defensive end were major strengths for the Nittany Lion defense. Even with Kalen King having a bit of a down year, paired with Johnny Dixon and Daquan Hardy was one of the best cornerback trios in the Big Ten. As for defensive end, I mean, Chop Robinson was an all-conference performer who's on his way to being a first-round pick and I believe just ran a sub 4 five forty as a defensive end in the combine. Great. Yeah. And Adisa Isaac was also a menace who between his senior bowl performance and how he'll test at the combine may end up a high round draft pick as well. And their reserves, as he said would have started for a lot of big 10 teams last season. So a lot of depth and talent at defensive end on offense. The best position group was a toss up between tight ends and running backs. While some fans may argue both groups underperformed that may be due to entering the season with unreasonably high expectations, both group groups, Performed at well above average levels and both return a lot of talent for 2024. Which struggled? Biggest position to struggle for Penn State this past season was without a doubt wide receiver. It is not being dramatic to say they may have had the first worst wide receiver room in the Power Five. I don't know about that. There's, yeah. you, seen, you watched any Vanderbilt football lately? <laughs> like, yeah, but I hear you. It was a rough year at wide receiver. Drew Aller did not necessarily meet expectations that quarterback a lot had for him but uh marty feels like the woeful wide receiver play was a big part of that and i would agree john i think that you know penn state did have issues having wide receivers get open and that's why it'll be really interesting to see if julian fleming's able to kind of step up and be their number one guy next year yeah which position groups were successful or unsuccessful it was a phenomenal year one for defensive line coach Dion Barnes. Cornerback's coach Terry Smith continues to be one of the best in the country. And defense coordinator Manny Diaz had another huge season, leading to him getting the head coaching job at Duke. Tight ends coach Ty Howell looks like a rising star. And Phil Troutwine has quietly become one of the best O-line coaches in the country. As for unsuccessful, offense coordinator Mike Yersovic became the latest victim. Of James Franklin firing all his offensive coordinators. <laughs> it says, does more need to be? He said he became the first assistant coach to be fired in season by James Franklin. Does more need to be said? Yeah, fired yeah, in yeah. season. I just think it's funny, man, because I am old enough to remember when Mike Yersich got this job and everyone at Penn State and, and James Franklin were like, he's the answer. This is the guy they wanted. Because remember, they fired Kirk Soraka so they could hire Mike Yersich. Yep. He was like, Yursic is the guy he always wanted. That was the guy to make the offense hum you know, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And now here we are moving on once again.
1: I just like, if you're hired as an offensive coordinator at Penn State, just expect that you, you're you there on limited time. You're there on borrowed time, no matter what. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it goes like, well, if it doesn't go well. You're gone after you get like two, three years max. and And that's a long, successful career at Penn State as an offensive coordinator. I believe he's on his seventh offensive coordinator in 10 years.
0: That's so good. that's bonkers. It's wild. Dude. It's <laughs> wild. Yeah. I mean, uh, the God. other guys on the coaching staff must look at the new OC and be like, Well, I'm not gonna learn your kids' names because you're not gonna <laughs> no. be here very long.
1: Uh, uh poor guy. All right.
0: Which uh which position coaches were successful or unsuccessful? It was a phenomenal year one for defensive line coach Dion Barnes, cornerback's coach Terry Smith. Oh, wait, I said that already. Excuse me. What injuries hurt the most? Penn State was relatively injury-free last season. However, one injury that was not discussed much but was impactful was wide receiver Trey Wallace. Wallace was the buzz of preseason camp and kicked the season off with a big game against West Virginia. Due to injury, he was limited to just 10 catches after week two. Had Wallace been healthy, it could have made a difference for a wide receiver room and passing game that struggled. So, yeah, there's a big impactful injury there. But, yeah, Mm. it is interesting that Penn State stayed mostly healthy last year and still kind of had the ups and downs that they did. Yeah. Um, what were the most pivotal, pivotal, games and how did they go? Marty says just about everyone knows this answer, right? The big <laughs> knock, the only real knock on James Franklin has been his inability to beat Ohio state and Michigan in many ways. 2023 was a two game season and they went zero and two in those games. I would argue a three game season. They also got crushed by Ole Miss in the bowl game,
1: Ugh, but yeah.
0: James is now one, and nine against Ohio State and three and seven against Michigan. This includes Lott losing eight in a row against the Buckeyes and three in a row against the Wolverines. Woof. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about the coaching staff and were there any coaching staff changes during or after the season? If so, what are your thoughts on the new both the new and departing coaches? Penn State staff has done a really good job of developing talent, one of the best in the country. Um, James Franklin, though, had to replace all three coordinators this offseason. After firing Mike Yuricich, he hired Amf- kansas offensive coordinator andy kotelnicki um that's a higher a lot of people are excited about a lot of people think it's an upgrade about Yursich. everyone thinks kotelnicki a genius so i would just say everyone thought Yursich was a genius too so <laughs> see. i think i think kotelnicki i think he'll probably succeed but like there have been enough good offensive coordinators not succeed at penn state that i can't say for sure
1: well you in, know in what 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 deems, you know, what, what is success at Penn state? Yeah. You know? like, we don't know. It's, it's like I said, he could be amazing for one year and, and he might be gone, you know, it's, yeah. you know, James Franklin is a, he's a very, very fickle person.
0: Yeah. Great coach though. Great coach. Uh, uh, yes. With Manny Diaz off to be the head coach at Duke, former Indiana head coach, Tom Allen, familiar face. Tom Allen is now All right. the defense coordinator at Penn state. Marty says, Allen's a great defensive mind. And he's excited to see what he can do with the caliber of athlete Penn State State has on defense. Yeah, John, I thought that was a big get for for James Franklin. Um, Tom Allen's a great defensive coach. He proved it as a defensive coordinator and as a head coach. And I think uh, I think he'll probably do well in State College.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think not only as the as the D.C., but I think just his presence, period, as far as just having him in in that locker room and 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 help being around those players is just going to be an overall positive.
0: Yep, and as for special teams, Stacy Collins left to return to Boise State and become assistant head coach. So to replace Collins, Franklin hired, fi- excuse me, hired a former Broyles Award finalist and Justin Lustig. He comes from Vandy and is a coach Franklin has targeted in the past. Franklin's got a big Vanderbilt connection, we know that. So that seems like a good hire. Um, yep. Do your new coaches seem better or worse than the ones they replace? They sit, uh Marty thinks Kotelniki is an upgrade over Yursich. And he's thought that the offense was bland and predictable last season. It's things that people won't say about a cold nucky offense. That's true. His he does run a very exciting brand of ball. Um, Allen's a good coach, but it'll be tough to keep the defense at the level Diaz had them at. So, well, that's likely a small drop off. That's not a shot at Tom Allen. And on special teams, Collins Lustig seems like a pretty even trade off. Which players will make an immediate impact next year? How did you do in the transfer portal, both gaining and losing players? Earlier, you mentioned that Penn State's coaches have developed a good culture and they didn't u- lose any significant players to the portal. They brought in a pair of former five-star recruits from Pennsylvania and wide receiver Julian Fleming and offensive tackle Nolan Rucci. Fleming will start at wide receiver, has already emerged as the leader of the room. They'll expect him to be wide receiver one. And Rucci will compete for a starting job at, as Penn State has open spots at left and right tackle. At cornerback, the Nittany Lions have brought in A.J. Harris and Jalen Kimber. Harris was a five-star recruit in the 2023 cycle and left Georgia in pursuit of a clear path to playing time. Harris was arguably the most talented cornerback in the portal and should start for Penn State this fall. As for Kimber, he brings in a lot of game experience from time at both Georgia and Florida. More of a depth piece, but should be able to contribute a bit. And they also added a kicker in Tulsa kicker, Chase Meyer, who last year went 17 for 20 on field goals and 30 for 31 on PATs. So they lose a reliable, reliable place kicker, but bring in a reliable k- place kicker to replace them. What are your thoughts about all three of your coordinators, offense, defense, special teams? Um, it's year one for all of them, so there's a lot of speculation. Everyone's excited about Nicki. Allen's a good coach. He said he'd give the Kotelnicki hire an A, Allen a solid B, and Lustig a B B+. What letter grade would you give the team for this past season? So that segues well. He said, it may sound weird coming off a season that resulted in 10 wins and a New Year's Six Bowl, but for the fifth time in seven years, it's hard to give anything better than a minus B-C+. 2023 was supposed to be the year. Penn State had an elite generational defense, returned arguably the best running back duo in the country, and Drew Aller was supposed to elevate quarterback play to new heights. Instead, the offense struggled when it mattered most, and Penn State once again failed to get over the OSU-UM hump. What position groups are you most excited to see going to spring ball and why? He's excited to see how uh, Tom Allen utilizes Penn State's linebackers. It's a deep, talented group led by All-American candidate Abdul Carter and former five-star recruit Tony Rojas. Offensively, excited to watch the offensive line. Penn State returns four players who have started at least seven starts in their career and add the aforementioned Nolan Rucci to the mix and redshirt Freshman offensive tackle Anthony Donko played extremely well when thrown in the fire in the Sugar Bowl. And former five-star Javon Williams will also be intriguing to watch entering his redshirt freshman season. This could be a very good unit. And I'm sure if they'll have a good offensive line, that would certainly help things for Penn State. Mm -hmm. Which position group does your team most need to address in the spring transfer portal? Penn State will continue to look for wide receivers. Adding Julian Fleming is a good start, but wide receiver room still needs a boost, which is interesting, John, because that's one thing that James Franklin has kind of always had is elite wide receivers. I feel like he's always got at least one elite wide receiver and one elite tight end. So it's interesting that they don't have those receiving. They're having to go in the portal for those receiving options right now.
1: Yeah, I just I'm last year was definitely a little bit interesting watching that happen and, and watching them struggle passing the ball. Um, but also it was, they struggled to run the ball at times too. And that was also very uncharacteristic of, of, especially like, like was already mentioned with the, uh, with the talent in that running back room. For sure. And
0: all right. So that is, uh, how is your team doing NIL wise? Is your collective growing? Do you utilize a pay for play model like in Ohio state or do you wait till guys pay guys until they produce on the field? Penn State is getting there, he says, with their Happy Valley United Collective. It's still not where they want it to be or need it to be, but progress is being made. There's finally alignment between the university, prez, athletic director, and coaching staff, which helps helps a lot. As for how players earn money, Penn State does their best to take care of everyone on their roster. For example, backup quarterback Bo Prabilla and reserve offensive lineman Nick Dawkins both have inked multiple NIL deals and can be seen promoting companies in the area. All right. And yeah, so that is our Penn State review, John. I mean, it is what it is. It's interesting. Penn State was a very good team, but they were not good enough to get over the Ohio State, Michigan hump. A lot of people think Penn State will be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this expanded playoff because, you know, they there are a lot of years they would have gotten in if it had
1: been a 12 or 14 team playoff. Yeah, they absolutely will. I think they're going to do. I think they're going to do very well. Um, I think they're going to continue to be competitive. And, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not going to get too much into the, the preview because we're going to talk about it more. But, you know, maybe this year is the year they finally beat Michigan or they beat Michigan again. But yeah. I got to say, they're probably not going to beat Ohio State. But no. That's all I, yeah, that, that's my my small little tidbit of projection here as far as yeah, State. i But I think I, they're going to be excellent. Ohio State's going to just
0: be tough next year. Yeah. Be tough, tougher than they usually are, even which is saying something. Yep, all right. Next up, we have got the Illinois fighting Illini. Um, they also went five and seven, I believe. And our contributor for Illinois, we have a couple. We have Austin at AB1132. Austin is a great follow for all things Illini, and he's also a contributor. To our other named contributor, the Illini cast which is a podcast about all things Illinois, at I-L-L-I-N-I-C-A-S-T. Really so, good stuff. There. Thanks, Austin, for all these answers. And definitely check out, you know, follow him on Twitter and check out uh, cast for all things Illinois sports. Yeah, excellent stuff.
1: Definitely worth a listen. Yep, absolutely.
0: What position groups were good in 2023, 24. Running back was a huge strength, he feels like. Caden Feegan ran the ball hard and was effective as a freshman. And yeah, I agree. Caden Fegan was really he's a really good player. He can when he gets when he gets ahead of steam, he's like a freight train coming downhill.
1: I love it. I love that kind of running back. So he was I loved watching him play, man. It was exciting. So I I was a big Mike Alstock guy back in the day. Yep. So I, anybody who's just there to like run over and run through people, I'm, I'm, I can get behind that every single time,
0: for sure. And which struggled, um, he thought linebackers struggled a lot. They weren't that impactful in stopping the pass and weren't physically capable of stopping the run. Which position coaches were successful or unsuccessful? He thought Fennellis, the DB coach, struggled. They got rid of him as a result of poor development. And then, but. Conversely, George McDonald got a lot of production out of the wide receiver room. He'll be missed as he took a job as wide receiver coach at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Which injuries hurt the most? He's gonna say the Luke Altmaier injury hurt the most. Um Brett Bielema didn't go back to him to end the year and his legs were needed. Wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you right now. I think Same. John Paddock was the truth. I agree. I In mean fact, I think Bielema made a mistake not playing him all year.
1: I agree. I totally agree. I, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, Altmeyer didn't have some talent and especially with his legs, but yeah, man, you know, I, I, to be fair, you know, Illinois' offensive line didn't help anybody. But yeah, I really think he made a mistake uh, not starting the right guy. Yeah, for most of the season. I agree. But I do think Luke
0: Altmeyer can play, though, a little bit, and it'll be interesting to see what he looks like going into next year. Mm hmm what were your most pivotal games and how did they go? He said, all the big 10 West games lost to Purdue, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, and Northwestern. All were games that were winnable at po- multiple points in these games. The Illini only beat Minnesota and the now defunct big 10 West. This yeah. was a crucial year and Illinois failed and boy, man, Minnesota failed too. Didn't they, John? Yes, they really, really did. Really, really did. Losing to an Illinois. I didn't re- I did not realize that Illinois lost to all those West teams and that, I that's, yeah, that's something else. All right, <laughs> how do you feel about the coaching staff? Were there any coaching staff changes during or after the season? What are your thoughts on new and departing departing coaches? It's going to be a unique staff. Defensive coordinator Aaron Henry needed more help with veteran coaches. Brett got him that. Losing Bullen to the NFL hurts the most, he says. And uh, do your new coaches seem better or worse than the coaches they replace? He likes Gibbs and step are very intriguing with their experience. And he mentioned McDonald, but he's excited to see new recruiting territories open up and he thinks maybe this new staff will recruit a little better, Mm -hmm. which players will make an immediate impact next year. He said Caden Fegan should be a top five running back in the big 10. And then Mike Scott on defense should help the secondary a lot. How'd you do in the transfer portal, both losing and gaining players? Biggest loss was Reggie love. But he saw how great Fegan did. The Illini did well rebuilding their trenches. They got Ennis Sledge from Auburn. Wow, that's a good offensive lineman name, Ennis Sledge. Yeah, great. Dennis Briggs from FSU on the DL and Kevin Wigginton from Michigan State. What are your thoughts about all three of your coordinators, offense, defense, special teams? He says he thinks Barry Lunny does a decent job and that the OL kind of let him down this season. Aaron Henry is entering a make or break, make it or make or break year at DC. Um, they did not live. It did not live up to the Ryan Walters standard. And Robbie disher is a great recruiter with good kickers coming in constantly punting leaves a little to be desired though. Hmm. Feel that feel the punting needs a little to be desired though. I feel sure. All right. What letter grade would you give your team for the past season? D plus there needed to be a bowl last year. They were one game from the big championship two years ago. This past year was awful. Um, with the new look conference coming on.
1: Yeah, I got to agree. I th- I had higher expectations. I think many people did with Brett. Oh, I thought they were going to win eight games. Yeah, me too. I but thought they were, they were going to be in the running for the West to the end, but they, yeah, yeah, it's very uncharacteristic of Bielema to fall off that much is, is, I was a little surprised. Well, especially with guys that talented
0: on the defensive
1: line. Yeah. I mean, you should be able to control games a little bit like that. So,
0: and they, and they were really up and down this year. So that was kind of strange. Mm-hmm. What position groups are you most excited to see going into spring ball, and why? Um, excited to see the secondary, so they've had ample time to work together and become a unit. Which position does your team need to address in the spring transfer, transfer portal? Offensive lineman—that's Brett's calling card, and he needs to—he needs to address it. Yeah. I agree with that. How's Absolutely. your team doing nil-wise? NIL Illinois has enough to keep players happy and around. There's a reason Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph stuck around and didn't pursue the draft after two seasons ago. Hmm. So yeah, thinks the NIL is going okay. they yeah. keep retaining guys, which is which is what most of the teams are doing with their NIL. It's you know there it's not there are not a lot of teams like Ohio State out hunting the top talent. Most of the guys are using a lot of that money to retain guys. Yep. And to go get the occasional quarterback or something like that. So, John, any th- more thoughts on the Illini before we move on from their 2023-24 season?
1: Uh, I think I think Burt knows what he's got to do. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's a fantastic coach. Uh, I think there was just... It was just a down year for some reason. I think there was just a lot of... Uh, I don't know, you know exactly, but a lot of misfires <clears throat> um, and some interesting, I guess, choices uh, for him. Um, but I think that... Uh, I think he can bring them back. I think they can be competitive. I do think they can uh, make a bowl game. Um, You know, he's just, you know, Brett doesn't stay down for too long. I think he'll be able to make the right adjustments and they'll look okay next year.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think think he's got to do it though. I think it's a really important year because if they have another, you know, if they have another losing season in a
1: row, then it becomes a trend. Yeah, I don't think anything would happen to him. I don't think he would no, lose a no, job. No, no. I don't think his job's in jeopardy.
0: I just mean for no. program momentum.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, he'll he'll definitely be feeling some heat if if this happens again for sure. Yeah.
0: All right. Last up today, we have the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, the Boilermakers went 4 and 8, but did despite going 4 and 8, they did manage to win 3 Big 10 conference games, which I thought was notable and we don't have currently a contributor for Purdue we thought we did but um that did not work out so we are still looking so if you're interested if you're a Purdue fan and wanting us to go more in depth on Purdue and you want to help us out you know please hit us up we are still looking for contributors and also big 10 fans of other teams we're still looking for contributors and people to uh con- you know help out with the podcast a little bit and you know we we really value the people who who give us these contributions, they help us
1: go in depth on your teams. Absolutely. Well, that, and not only that, just so we can, you know, provide as much detail as possible into the teams you care about, because we care about them. We care about every single big 10 team here on this podcast. And, and I think for, uh, we live for Saturday, not only do we want to go in, in depth as far as previews and reviews or, you know, of your, of your team, but we want to know exactly what's going on. And, and um, if there's any updates that we're missing, or transfers or coaching changes or injury, all that kind of stuff. uh, We're, we're very interested in knowing. So anybody at any point in time, no matter how big or how small of a contribution, we are very grateful and appreciative of that.
0: Absolutely. And we even have a, we live for Saturday Twitter chat group. So if you do become a contributor, you can join our chat. So there's a, there's a bonus right there. All right. So we didn't have a produce. We did our best to answer these questions. Which position groups were good in 2023, which struggled? John, I said that QB was a relative strength that Hudson Card largely lived up to the height. Despite Card's impressive stats, he was running for his life a lot, though, so I think it's even more impressive. (coughs) Excuse me. What he accomplished, completing nearly 60% of his passes for just under 2,400 yards. Running back was a strength, with Devin Mockabee and Tyrone Tracy splitting the bulk of the carries. (coughs) And the offensive line was the group that struggled the most, I think. They had a hard time opening holes. Hudson Card was running for his life a lot. And they just really struggled up front, especially on the offensive line. Um, the secondary struggled a lot, too. What did you think about that question, John?
1: Yeah, I. it was really rough watching Hudson Card run for his life so much. Because <laughs> he really you saw the talent you saw his ability to make plays he was absolutely a baller he was so much fun to watch when he was making impossible extending plays and making things uh things work out and finding success um but when you're running for your life like that so much you know it's it's just impossible to 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 allow that level of talent to flourish and And yeah, I think, I think Purdue absolutely needs to address that offensive line and protect that quarterback. It's otherwise it's just going to be more, you know, of a nightmare. So it's all about line of scrimmage play. Like we, like we've talked, like we've talked about on this in the big 10, if you can't develop your line of scrimmage play, then, you know, you're not, what are you even doing here?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, which coaches succeeded or failed? I said that the running backs coach had a nice year. Lamar Conard because um, both Mockaby and Tracy were very serviceable and he did a good job when you know when Tracy was out filling that production.
1: Okay. For
0: coaches that struggled, I have to include offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. He has failed his way upward in this profession and keeps getting good jobs despite poor results. Apparently, once you're a Mike Leach QB, you're automatically legit somehow. I don't know, John. It's super weird. <laughs> That's but bizarre. Yeah. I, I still don't know why Ryan H- Walters picked a I. I hate to call Graham Harrell a failure, but he's failed a lot. Yeah. I know some coaches say failure is growth, but sometimes you got to grow too and not just fail. And so yeah. I think Graham Harrell still has a lot to prove.
1: Yeah, I agree. And
0: the defensive coordinator, Kevin Kane, also struggled mightily, but it's Ryan Walter's defense, so I put that mostly on him. Which injuries hurt the most? Uh, I had tight end Max Clare, right tackle Marcus Mbo, and cornerback Marquise Wilson. All missed the second half of the year due to injuries, and Tyrone Tracy was banged up at times too. Were there any other injuries you wanted to add to that, John?
1: No, I think for me, losing Claire was like that was a big target, and he and I think he really he could have made a big difference for that team and maybe you know given them more of a shot at, at winning some games and allowed uh, a card to have a better uh, just overall just a better passing game. it was It was tough when he went out. there was just there was already limited targets on the field and without him you know, that just, that really hurt. Yeah.
0: What were your most pivotal games and how did they go? Uh, I put the 39-35 loss to Fresno State, got the season off on a poor foot, but then they bounced back. And I also had a pivotal game as Virginia Tech as they were able to win that one 24-17 the next week. And then I thought Illinois was a pivotal game as Purdue crushed the Illini 44-19. And that showed some hope for the Ryan Walters era that you could see what happened when they kind of put it together. The loss to Northwestern twenty three fifteen really hurt, but they did manage to beat arch rival Indiana 35-31 in a game that ensured Tom Allen was getting fired. So, I mean, they only went four and eight, but those they had some good hard fought wins in there.
1: For sure, yeah, it was it was a very interesting year. Um, I definitely see the potential moving forward. I think that you know there's still obviously a lot of question marks to, that remain to be seen when it comes to Walters, but. He had some bright spots, I think, that could, you know, re- uh, require some hope. I think um, for on for as a fan, but overall disappointing. But I definitely think that there could be some things to build on.
0: Absolutely. Which coaches left and who replaced them? Um, in December, Purdue tight ends coach Seth Dagey left the Boilermakers to become the offensive coordinator at Marshall, and. Walters has elected to promote senior special teams analyst Chris Petrilli to special teams uh, coordinator to make him want to produce 10 on-field assistant coaches and let's see you just and then for the tight ends coach, he replaced him with offensive analyst Justin sins made him senior offensive analyst tight ends coach. So that's two promotions of off of analysts. And John, what do we say about when analysts get promoted? It could go great. It could go terrible. There's no way to know because they don't really have a track record. Yep. Know? So it's interesting that he decided to make t- that in year one struggling. You have a team that was struggling a little bit. He ma- he made two internal promotions to replace coaches. That's that's not that that raises my eyebrows a little bit. It shows that Walters likes to promote from within, but usually that's something that happens more at programs that have been winning a little more. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting for him to try to build that way right out of the gate. Which players will make an immediate impact next year? Purdue went hard in the transfer portal this year. Incoming transfers consist of eight offensive players and six defensive players. They had a trio of wide receivers join Purdue and Cam Brown from UCLA. Uh, Danalion Morissette from Georgia and CJ Smith from Georgia. Running back Reggie Love made a similar move as his head coach heading East to West Lafayette from Illinois. And then they also added four linemen, including Joshua sales from Indiana, Corey Stewart, ball state, Joey Tenona, Notre Dame and DJ wingfield, New Mexico. So that to add some depth and experience to the offensive line room. So Purdue knows they have issues in the offensive line and they've tried to address them for sure. Purdue brings in two defensive linemen, two linebackers, and two DBs, so pretty even across the whole defense, including the number seven and highest-ranked cornerback in the portal, Nylon Green, he's saying, from Georgia. We've had multiple people claim to be the top the top cornerback in the portal on this episode, John. I think there have been some top cornerbacks in this portal.
1: <laughs> hey. It just goes to show that defense is a big deal in the Big Ten, and if you don't, if you don't shore up that defense, you're not going to be winning a lot of games, so... Yep. Everyone gets a top-tier top top, level, top tier quarter, cornerback now, I guess. So that's how it
0: works. And then Kendrick Breedlove from Colorado got out of the Dion experiment to go to Purdue. So good for him to escape that. Uh, CJ Madden came from Georgia. And then they also brought in a guy from Boston College. And then for the interior of the line, they've got Jamarius Dinkins from Kentucky and Jire Ojada from Franklin. So they brought in a lot of transfers and Purdue had a lot of holes to fill and they managed to really go hard in the transfer portal. It's interesting. Again, he obviously Ryan Walters wants to be more competitive right away and he thinks it'll take too long to build just recruiting high school players. And so he went really hard in the transfer portal. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see how that works out for him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just the name of the game now, you know, it's, you do obviously want to want to focus on those high school recruits, but you're, Shelf life as a as a head coach in a league like the Big Ten is very limited now, like as far as being able to win and you gotta win fast. So yeah,
0: there's pressure even in year two for sure.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. And then what letter grade would you give for this past season? I gave Purdue a C minus. It wasn't like a great, great start for Walters, but he did win four games, including three Big Ten games, which is notable in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it wasn't like the greatest first year, but I thought it, you know, it could have gone a lot worse too. So I thought he did okay.
1: No, I totally agree. I'm on board with that.
0: And what position groups are you excited to see going into spring ball? For me, all eyes are on the offensive line and the new wide receivers. Those groups need to improve a lot to help out Hudson card.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: And then what position group needs to be addressed in the spring transfer portal? I mean, Purdue brought a lot of guys in already, so it's hard to say what else they need. I mean, it's you know, it could be that they've already done all the transfer portaling they're gonna do for this season. Yeah. And then how's your team doing NIL wise? I, I couldn't find much about Purdue NIL.
1: Yeah. Neither could I. I I'm really not that sure. Um, obviously they must have something to get to get and to keep Hudson Card there. So Yeah, I would assume they had to have some level of NIL to make that happen.
0: We know that basketball team's getting paid. That's true. So they must have some NIL money somewhere. Yep. Question is, how much is it for
1: for football or is it all for hoops? No, but you're right.
0: Obviously, they brought Hudson Card in, so they must have paid him something.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, again, if there's anyone out there who wants to help us out, um, feel free to let us know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, John, anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here?
1: Just one more thing. Um, First off, I wanted to say thank you to all of our contributors. Again, we were really grateful for this. Those who helped out here with this podcast and the previous ones means a lot. Um, It it really helps us understand the team and um, this conference moving forward. Uh, So... That being said, if you want to find We Live for Saturday, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. You can find Mike at Alibaba 26. You can find me, John, at Norwegian Gopher. And again, you can also email us with any questions, inquiries, you name it anything. We Live for Saturday, b1g at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. All right, John. This has been a great podcast, I think, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to us, listened to it with us this whole time. I'm going to go back to speaking real English and not gibberish now that I'm feeling a little better. So, thanks for struggling through me this podcast and struggling with me, excuse me, through this podcast. Wow.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Let's get out of here before I say anything else. Weird, huh? Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Take it easy, everybody. Have a good one.